The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. One day, I shall come back. That's it. I've been renewed. As when a Time Lord's body wears out, he regenerates. I'm a Time Lord. I'm not a human being. I walk in eternity. Braveheart team. Change, my dear, and it seems on a moment too soon. Unlimited vice pudding! Position heroes. Wearing a bit thin. Fantastic. Hello, I am Scottish. I can complain about things. She'll be fine. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the eighth Doctor story, The Sword of Orion. Joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Very well, thanks. And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Folks, remember to like The Secrets of Doctor Who on Facebook, where we're at facebook.com slash secrets of Doctor Who. Uh, be sure to retweet us, our episodes on Twitter, where we're at SQPN, and leave us comments in both places. We love to hear from you and love to have conversations with you, and we share some of your feedback on the show when we get that. I mentioned that the story we're talking about today is the Eighth Doctor story, Sword of Orion. This is not a TV story, as you're probably aware if you're a Doctor Who fan. This is a big finish audio production, which we are now doing for Eighth Doctor stories in this rotation we're doing. And you can find those at bigfinish.com, where... They often have sales, and by the time you're listening to this, I, the most recent sales is long over. But they they periodically have sales on these, and these are like available for a buck fifty each. Uh, the Eighth Doctor stories, but you can also find many of these on Spotify for free. So if you want to enjoy the story as before or after we just, you know record this or after we release this, enjoy the story and then hear our discussion of it, you can listen to it for the, especially this one. I know is available for free and many others on Spotify. So, and you don't have to have a paid Spotify account. You can just listen to them there. So definitely check that out on Spotify. So this one we're talking about is an Eighth Doctor story, one of the first ones from, released in February of 2001. And it's about a couple hours long. It's about two hours long, uh, the whole story. It's uh, the equivalent of four TV episodes of the shorter, shorter format. The, yeah. That's right. That's right. It, it's in four parts, essentially. Uh, the way they've they've put it together, yeah. This one also is interesting in that it's a remake of yes. a an audiovisual story. Audiovisuals was a group of fans that back in the eighties and nineties. So actually, back when Doctor Who was still on the air, they were making fan fiction of Doctor Who. It was unlicensed. They were doing audio recordings, you know, like Nicholas. Briggs, who who today is known for playing the Daleks, would play the Doctor and mm -hmm. stuff. But the guys who and and this was one of the stories they did. But then the guys who did audiovisuals later went on to do other projects. Some of them ended up doing so-called BBV videos, which were also frequently unlicensed and sometimes licensed Doctor Who products. And others went on to work with Big Finish, and others then, and various print Doctor Who fan productions, and then they graduated to working on the TV show. And right. so that generation of, of British fans came up with this story and later went on to work on the show. And once 
Big Finish got the license to do Doctor Who audio plays, they decided to revamp that story and fit it into their timeline here. Was it originally an Eighth Doctor story that do you, do you know? I I don't uh, I don't know if the Doctor was the Eighth Doctor, but I do okay. know that. And in fact, some of the productions, like when Nicholas Briggs played the Doctor, he often would be an unspecified future incarnation. Okay, but there are detectable elements of how it's been adjusted to make it fit the Big Finish chronology, because this episode starts with the Doctor and Charlie being concerned about Ramsey the Vortisaur. Right. It's a, a kind of, you know, pteranodon-like life form that li- lives in the time vortex that we met in the previous story. And he's been out of the vortex for long enough. He's suffering some ill effects from not being in his native environment. He's sort of a fish out of time water. Right. And so they're concerned about him. And that's something that would not have been part of the original audiovisual story. Right, of course. Uh, Yeah, and it's interesting that what a time back in the 80s when fans could become uh, involved in the actual product. Like, because Star Trek did this, they were Star Trek Mm -hmm. uh, fans who made scripts or spec scripts who ended up writing for next gen and DS9 and that sort of thing. And the same thing here. Like and the, the original series and the original series. That's how we got the Tholian yeah. web. Right, right, yeah, right. It, it, it's it's incomprehensible to think of anything like that happening today because they're so legal yes. legally strict today about who can submit I mean if you even think about submitting just independently a script, they immediately write you off as a possible author. I mean it's like the right. one way you don't get picked in many yes. cases because of the legal issues behind you know you hear hear of uh people who they say don't even pitch me an idea we can't right. use it the second you do it because it's yours and then we have to do all the you legal entanglements because yeah. they've been sued for things like that yeah so uh but it's 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 amazing i, I, I think it's also a, a large product of the fact tv seasons are so short now if right. you've only got to fill six to 13 episodes that's a lot easier to do than if you've got to fill 26 and so many are these comprehensive arcs where yep. everything has to fit within the the larger puzzle they don't have independent episodes like they used to because of the length of the seasons and all that sort of mm-hmm. thing so yeah yeah it's it's sad but we have youtube now where people can create their own and put them on there yeah. and that sort of thing <laughs> and podcasts uh so uh you mentioned that they that it picks up from storm warning so charlie is the companion with the doctor a, also a fish out of time water <laughs> in a sense where she's from the early uh what was it the 1920s? 1930 1930 okay yep. uh now they're in 2503 the doctor has is taken uh charlie and ramsey in tow to uh, the year 2503 they're at something called the the garab the well they're the, at a the space, Gar- space bazaar yeah the garazon space bazaar uh before we get to that, there is a, a a precursor scene, a sort of teaser scene where this um, salvage ship finds a a derelict battleship. They call it a star destroyer, but that has implications beyond <laughs> Doctor Who, so I don't want to confuse anyone. But a a derelict spa, a space warship that they go on. These two salvagers who are it sounds like they're not supposed to be there who go on board and. Something horrible happens to them, and that's that. So it's sort of, and one of them is played by Mark Gatiss. 
Yes, the mm. the Mark Gatiss, uh, who uh, written for, directed for uh, later Doctor Who, was acted in later Doctor Who, was a partner of Stephen Moffat, and was also uh, uh, on Sherlock Holmes, uh, where one of his better roles. Uh, so, but with it, we we pick up in this bazaar there. They're, Charlie has this weird encounter. <laughs> yeah, they're they're looking for something to help Ramsey, but yes. they end up being diverted because they discover that they meet a shopkeeper named Ike, who yep. and, and we have an interesting scene. So you're right, Charlie has this interesting scene where one of the shopkeepers sort of propositions her, and she's from a she's not even sure yeah. he's human or right. a he yeah. and and <laughs> the doctor explains that there's been a lot of crossbreeding with other species but they then find this shopkeeper named Ike and they blo- and, and he's trying to close down his shop but they bluff him into staying open by pretending without saying that they're from some kind of customs inspection service Right. right. And they want to look at his wares, which are unusual artifacts that they determine are smuggled. Mm. And so it turns out that Ike is a smuggler, but he also has a legitimate day job working this scrap salvage business. So apparently the scrap salvage people have permission to go out there and reclaim scrap from spaceships. But they also sometimes find things that they sell on the side as smugglers. Right. Let's get a side hustle going in this bazaar. Yeah. Uh, and and he needs to get going. There is one point where the doctor's in Ike's shop where he finds a recorder and plays a few notes. I don't know if yes. you caught that. Yeah. Uh, badly, by a, the way. <laughs> badly. It's a throwback to the second doctor. They find a uh, a gold-plated Cyberman head, which is ironic. <laughs> yeah. And this is the first appearance very, very of- Very ironic. Yes, the the first appearance of the uh, Cybermen in Big Finish they they mention mm-hmm. here and and also the first encounter this is going to be the first encounter of the Eighth Doctor and the Cybermen so which mm-hmm. is not hard to do since this is only his third story technically and uh, the the shopkeeper mentions the disappearance of that ship from earlier the the, the that we I just mentioned earlier uh, it was called the Silver Jackal just for uh, and the, and he worries that the Doctor's connected to that disappearance somehow. The Doctor does take this moment of finding the Cyberman head to explain a bit to Charlie and to the audience, who may not know, about the Cyber War. And he assures uh, Charlie that the Cybermen are still locked in their tomb on Telos. Uh, That was from the Tombs of the Cybermen second Doctor episode that we've already talked about. Uh, Yeah. And they're not. (laughs) Spoilers. (laughs) They're not still locked in their tombs. Uh, that we the, we have a case of near TARDIS separation in this first yes. part of the story because they've parked the TARDIS in an out of the way place in a warehouse, and it so happens that the warehouse they've parked it in is sched- all of the contents of that warehouse are scheduled to be loaded onto a spaceship, and right. so they discover the TARDIS is being loaded aboard this scrap ship, and they've got to hop aboard the scrap ship in order to avoid being separated from the TARDIS, and it happens to be Ike's ship as well. And it's, it's got this new captain, Captain Jansen, and she's hot to take off really quick. Like, she's really in a hurry, and she's—it uh, it, it strikes me. She's very uh, squared away, disciplined, and the rest of the crew are sort of space piratey. They're, they're slacker <laughs> smugglers, yeah. 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 
Yeah. And the new captain is so adamant to take off that the other crew members perceive it as irrational to try to yes. take off this quickly. And that suggests the captain has an ulterior motive, of course, which we'll learn about in the fullness of time. Right, uh, so to speak. Uh, so, yes, the the doctor and Charlie do manage to stow away on board the ship as it takes off. So they're they're not separate from the TARDIS here. Uh, the ship, this uh, salvage ship called the Vanguard, just so I remember that, comes across that same dead Star Destroyer in space. Uh, she's so we, we we do see clearly that that G- Captain Jansen's very impatient, prone to giving dangerous orders. Uh, the doctor tries to get take the TARDIS, to, uh, tries to leave and is unable to. Because of something having to do with the Vanguard's warp field or something so they, like that. So what, what happened was is to try to stop the ship in time from crashing into this Star Destroyer, uh, she has, the, the captain has them reverse the, the hyperdrive, basically the warp drive. Right. And at that same moment, the doctor tries to take off, and, and the way they explain it is it causes uh, basically like a temporal feedback or something like that into the TARDIS and causes the TARDIS to crash, if you will, not literally, yeah. but rematerialize on the star destroyer itself right and and they're also now going to be denied access to the tardis for a while because it's filled with chroniton particles or something which will be great for ramsey but not so great for the doctor and charlie so they need to evacuate for a while it's like when you bug bomb your house (laughs) exactly they fumigated the tardis (laughs) yeah uh yeah and so this is the tardis separation they can't they can't they they can't get be in the tardis here uh now the the Captain Jansen is very intent like on this claiming this star destroyer for salvage uh and and the 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 crew of the salvage ship is is kind of dubious about this for some reason they 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 think that we're not supposed to salvage this is sort of off limits for us well the part of it i I think they you know both in that first ship that we heard at the 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 prologue and yep. here they say it's too big. You know, I, I think what there is is there's a sense of if you're going to salvage something, you salvage it until it's basically just a floating hulk, so okay. there's nothing left to salvage. And they 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 can't, you know, they they realize their ship isn't big enough to hold all this, you know, it doesn't have big enough stores for everything. But I, I think there's also, you know, of course, there's also the foreshadowing of there's something ominous about this ship too. Yes, yes, it's very yeah clearly. Uh, they the the salvage crew is sent over by the captain uh, in. In spacesuits, they can't dock with it. They've damaged the ship, mm-hmm. uh, and they go over. They, they, let's see. They they find the TARDIS. Uh, the Doctor and 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 uh, Charlie are not there, but they do find the TARDIS. And then they hear a Cyberman's voice say "destroy," and then one of them is attacked. Uh, and then the Doctor and Charlie, when they find this injured guy al- alone, he's like, <laughs> "I'm glad it's not a TV show because the way they describe it, it would not be pleasant to see." No. That they're they're caught literally red-handed standing over him. They were trying to help him. They're uh, the other crewmen think that they attacked him and that they 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 yeah. are guilty of killing him. Literally red-handed because his blood is on their hands because they were trying to help him. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so they're taken back to the other. So, so the notice ship. standard Doctor Who trope: Doctor gets found over a dead body and accused of causing the death. Yes, that is that is a a, a classic trope <laughs> in the series. And and that immediately leads us into another classic Doctor trope, which is you have a division of the people the Doctor is dealing with where at least one of them is highly suspicious of the Doctor, 
Yes. And another is sort of more reluctantly supportive of the doctor. So one of the Grash, one of the crewmen, is all right. for killing the doctor and Charlie immediately because they're clearly guilty. And as if you don't take them to space prison or space court or something. Space justice. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and the captain, though, is kind of more reasonable. And so you have that standard irrational doctor hater versus more rational doctor open-mindeder. Right. You, like, you definitely got the, the, the law, you know, the, the stereotypical law, the sea of crime has been committed on the sea, therefore it must be adjudicated and executed on the sea as well type of deal. Yeah, frontier justice. Yep. Uh, so back on the other ship, the the uh, the Vanguard, the salvage ship, they the Doctor starts to see signs of what will clearly be a Cybermat. I mean, we, we as Doctor Who fans, we know what he's seeing because we know there's Cybermen involved. We know that this he sees scratches and sees something has come on board and uh, that sort of thing. It's a Cybermat that's uh, loose on the Vanguard, uh, and it ends up cutting off lots of ship systems, life support, the engines, all that sort of thing. Meanwhile, the the crew of the salvage ship mutiny against the captain. Well, at least one of them does, and the others kind of go along sort of reluctantly. Yeah. And uh, they want to get out of there, and she's intent. She's She's gone all Captain Bly. Is it Bly? No. Uh, who's? Queeg. Uh, a- Queeg. Thank you. Oh, or uh, Ahab. That would or work, Ahab. too. Yeah, she's got all Ahab on the white whale of the this 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 cyber. It's a cyber warship. Let's just be clear on that uh, <laughs> because there are Cybermen on board. It's, it must be a cyber warship, and uh, the the ship engines are dead. They can't leave because the Cybermat destroyed them. The Doctor and the Captain are are sent back over to the warship. Yeah. Uh, now I I want to note it's not clear to me that this is actually a mutiny. I mean that that it qualifies as a mutiny because a mutiny is an illegal action. And okay. it seems to me that under the policies of the of the corporation they're working for, Grash is within his authority to relieve the captain of duty when she does certain kinds of actions which mm-hmm. she has now done. And okay. so it, it it at least in this situation, and I forget if s- support from other key crew members must concur in that decision or not. I forget if they establish that, but it seems it seemed to me that Grash, even though he's very brash and mm-hmm. uh, aggressive, that he is he has cover of law and policy for what he's doing here. Okay. Okay. So yeah, not clearly a mutiny, but Grash does. He's certainly hostile toward the Doctor and Charlie. At one point, he sends Charlie and the, Charlie captain. In, in the mm-hmm. captain. He sends Charlie into what, what he thinks is a certain death at the hands of the Cybermat to track it down in the engine room. I mean, he's clearly <laughs> and disappointed when she doesn't die. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, he's hoping that the, the she can be killed by this thing, and then he doesn't have to. She can be executed, and he doesn't have to explain to anyone what happened. There's also a little talk of the Orion War. We don't get a lot of explanation at this point. We get explanation later, but um, th- there is a, a talk of Orion War and androids uh, uh, here on, and they think that the Doctor and Charlie might be androids. Except uh, the captain says there are no androids in this part of space. Right. Mm-hmm. Clearly, the captain <laughs> is right. Spoilers. I won't go there. Uh, so they, <laughs> the Doctor and the captain are sent back over to the warship. What are they sent there for? I forget what they're, they're sent back for. Reasons. Stuff to re- yeah, I think to repair to get stuff to repair the ship. 
But when they get the doctor, I note the doctor says, keep to uh, Captain Jansen, keep your gun handy. So the doctor is not opposed to her using her weapon. He also tells other people, bring that gun and come with me and stuff like that. So he's he's very definitely not the modern pacifist doctor, which is great. (laughs) Yeah, uh, and they do encounter Cyberman, and she shoots it. And that gun is seems to be very good at shooting Cyberman. It, it kills it with a with a shot. Yeah. By the way, interesting. Even though I don't think this is the real explanation, you could see the Eighth Doctor as carrying over some of the Seventh Doctor's principles, and that he doesn't shoot himself; he gets other people to do his shooting right. for him. <laughs> that's right. That's right. He's a little bit of manipulation there. Except it's not as manipulative. It's just grab that gun and come with me. Yeah. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> um, so he does note that this Cyberman uh, is there's something weird about it. It's, it was only partially frozen, like it was partially suspended animation, like the ones on Telos, but not quite. And that's why it went rogue or something like that. But he does deduce that that must mean there are other Cybermen aboard this ship. So that's the 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 conflict that we're going to have here. Um, And it does turn out, yes, the other Cybermen are awake. They're trying to revive the cyber leader. They're unsuccessful because of the, the, the damage to their own ship. So that's why they're trying to take up, take over the other ship. They send a couple of Cybermen uh, through over across the space in between to the the salvage ship um, to, to take it over. And by this point, we're in episode three and we've had a really slow build to the Cybermen becoming active. Yes, yes. It is a bit of a slow start here. Like, there's a lot of uh, tension, a lot of ominousness, but there's not a lot of action in these early in these early parts. Uh, so, uh, Charlie gets friendly with at least one of the crew members. His name is Vol, um, and he's he likes Charlie, or at least does not doesn't want her to die. Uh, yeah. And uh, and then, but they sent him to go kill Charlie and blame it on the Cybermat, which is unfortunate for you know fortunate for Charlie, but unfortunate for their plan. Uh, meanwhile, the Doctor and Jansen on the warship they find a thousand corpses in the middle of cyber conversion. So this was a convert a cyber conversion ship. Ship, yeah, yeah. And uh, and this is a really in the theater of the imagination, this is a really dramatic scene. I have in my notes that things really start to get tense in part three, mm-hmm. both in the Charlie plot line and the Doctor plot line. And one of the elements of that is when they find this massive space in the cyber ship that's set aside for conversion and all of the biological components of the people that were being converted are like have like rotted. Yep. Because the conversion yes. process was suspended in 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 mid action, and so you have this right. these factory new cyber components that were being stitched into and around these people with rotted human remains, and there right. we're told there are like hundreds of these. So it's right. some massive space. It must be horrific to see and smell. Yeah. Well, they do well, remark they, several times about the smell. Yeah, yeah. yeah they, 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 every time, every time somebody pulls off a mask, you know, their helmet immediately, and some of them start gagging at one point, and you know, yeah. so you can imagine how horrific it really would be. Uh, and one thing that they mention is is the the reason the ship is derelict here is because they they see signs that it had been hit by an ion storm. The that classic space uh, science fiction. Uh, obstacle, the ion storm. That oh, that, they're everywhere. I mean, you just they, they, <laughs> space is just thick with them. I mean, we can't see them, but they're thick with them. Apparently, <laughs> uh, 
and the other thing to note here is that Jansen is remarkably well informed about Cybermen. Like we get, it's clear she knows a lot about Cybermen for a salvage captain, the salvage at, ship. Captain. At one point, the doctor says, "Are you sure you didn't major in cyber studies?" <laughs> right, right. Uh, I read a book. I think is what she says. Uh, so the 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 Cybermen have now boarded the other ship, the the Vanguard, and start attacking. Uh, and what a grash! We think he's dead. We hear him scream, but then he shows up. Hey, he's he's he must be okay. Turns out he's under cyber control, and uh, that's when the doctor and the and the captain come back and destroy the two Cybermen. And she's being very secretive. She keeps consulting the this computer core that's off limits to everyone else. And the doctor's now wondering why did those Cybermen on the warship give up chasing us so easily. We got away a lot, very easily uh, from them. So what's going on here? So there's more, there's more going on than meets the eye with, with this whole situation. No, notice the number of plot elements we're bringing over from Sigourney Weaver Alien again, mm-hmm. including yes. the, se- the secretive computer core that nobody else gets to access that has all the info you really need. Yeah. It's very Alien-esque. Oh, the other thing I wanted to mention is, is that I kept bringing to mind uh, those last few episodes of the most recent season of Doctor Who, the the eleventh season, twelfth season of the uh, the the thirteenth yeah, Doctor's most recent season, from when we were talking, uh, the the whole Cybermen, the 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 derelict quote unquote mm-hmm. uh, cyber warship full of Cybermen, that whole thing. Mm-hmm. It's it's very. I kept bringing that to mind as they're describing it, and you know, wondering how, what whether there's a connection there or not. Someone in the someone in the story even used the phrase "lone Cyberman" once. Right, right. Yes, the yep. the lone rogue Cyberman who is acting irrationally compared to other Cybermen. So that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the uh, the the rest of the crew of the Vanguard starts to comment on the oddity of the captain's behavior. She's very cool and collected, very shipshape and knowledgeable. Happens to carry a weapon designed to kill Cybermen, apparently. So, it, and she's a late replacement for their previous captain. You know, she's very so. Uh, she seems to be well placed, oddly, for this situ- very situation. It's just like our the corporation we work for is maneuvering us into this situation. <laughs> yes, yes, possibly. The meanwhile, we hear about how the the captain is in the com- computer command module looking up information about the Doctor and finds out that he's a time travel with, traveler with special knowledge of the Cybermen, uh, and that, that then figures into her next actions. So the Cybermen are now have, now that the, the first two, I think they've destroyed those by this point, they've sent a whole mass of them over to attack and take over the Vanguard, the salvage ship, come, and they're trying to come through the airlock en masse and the doctor comes up with the idea is if we eject the outer airlock door so that they can't close it and repressurize the airlock, we'll prevent them from coming in because what they want, their goal is to take us alive and convert us. So if they can't come through that door without killing all of us, they're not going to come through the door. So that's what they do. They eject the outer door. So now they can't get out, which Charlie points out, well, that's going to prevent us from getting to the TARDIS too, won't it? So this, this I, li- I like how the doctor is like, yeah, but if we don't do this, we're dead now. We've got to take this one step at a time, Charlie. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, sorry, Charlie. Sorry. <laughs> to go there at least once <laughs> in one of these Eighth Doctor Charlie stories. Uh, th- this is when they realize that Rash is under cyber control, and it's very. I like this little development. So the cyber leader tells him, okay, you know, decides 
All right, they've disabled the airlock. We need to create a new airlock. So they send Grash and others who are of the crew who are also being taken under cyber control to create an ersatz or makeshift airlock out of the 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 bulkhead doors that surround the airlock reception area. So they're they're making yep. a new airlock, quote unquote. Uh, I thought that was a a, cle- a little bit of clever writing. Mm-hmm. Then the doctor rooting around in the command files that he's not supposed to have access to finds more information on that ship, the Silver Jackal, and something about the androids. And this is where we start to learn about this Orion War. And this is a key mm-hmm. aspect of it. There was this war between... So humans had, had created these android, lifelike humanoid, human-looking androids that they turned into a slave race. Uh, this, we, we hear this so, over so and over words, again. So in other words, we got the Cylon War between the humans and the androids, basically. Yes, we have Just Cylons. the Orion sector. Right. And that's why it's the Orion War, the Sword of Orion, etc. Uh, and so the the androids were outlawed after they demanded equal rights. And then when they couldn't win, the androids determined they couldn't win. They all went to the Orion system and gave the humans there an ultimatum to accept them as equals or leave. And then that's what started this. New, that's what started the Orion War. And so. I like there's a couple of layers we're going to get to mm-hmm. here in the in the the ter- the twists and turns. Notice uh, they didn't decide to just wipe out humanity. That's like accept right. us as equals or go. <laughs> right, right, yeah, accept us equals or leave. Uh, they're, so they're not quite Cylons in that case. Um, so the doctor deduces that Captain Jansen knew this cybership was here all along and came for it specifically. So that's. Uh, so that's a, a, a key clue uh, that is a bit misleading because the the information he gets tells her tells him that she's an Earth agent. spy agent mm-hmm. carrying out something called Operation Sword of Orion, which is the aim is to take control of the Cybermen as soldiers in the war. He presumes on the side of Earth. This is the first presumption that the leader, the humans have not learned their lesson, are going to try to use Cybermen as a weapon against the androids. Okay, so we'll put a pin in that for now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's So meanwhile, uh, the Cybermen are on board. Vol, Chev, and Grash have now under cyber control. Uh, everyone else puts on a spacesuit and goes over to the warship. Since they've lost the Vanguard, they're going to go back to the other ship because the Doctor knows that's yeah. where the TARDIS is. We can get in that and get out of here. And and that is, um, I guess, a flaw in some of the reasoning behind the airlock stuff. Because if the Cybermen knew they had airlock, they had EVA suits, they could have just said, "Okay, so let's rip open this door, and that will force them to quickly get into their EVA suits." Right. <laughs> that would have been yes, uh, or at least given them a warning, like you can you, know, you can either die as we open this door, or get in your EVA suit. Yeah, uh, which is yeah, that is a bit of a, a flaw in the reasoning. Meanwhile, uh, to because the tension is not high enough, we have an ion storm on the way. Uh, those badly timed that, ion storms. It came, Maybe it came it's back. the same it one. As yeah. A, yeah, yeah, the doctor says it's coming back for a second round. <laughs> right, and of course, if they're caught in the storm while they're in between the ships, while they're outside, they'll 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 die. So they have to get over. And the doctor points out to the Cybermen that the first encounter you had with this storm you know, basically wrecked your cyber ship. And right. the second one is likely to finish it off. And the cyber leader is 
braving it anyway just because he doesn't perceive another option. Right. And the doctor tells him, oh, blind faith, that's what you're counting on. <laughs> and, right. That's and not rational. <laughs> yeah, uh, but uh, the doctor has been in that situation many times himself of, well, there's no other option, so we're going to take the slim chance and hope it works. Right. Exactly. And, and that's the, that this encounter that the doctor, uh, you know, and the, and the group encounter the cyber leader. And so there's this proposal, counterproposal going on. Jansen sells out the doctor to the cyber yeah. leader. Uh, take me to your cyber leader. <laughs> she offers mm. assistance getting their ship operational again in exchange for their alliance in the Orion War. But the cyber leader refuses. He, he, he refuses her, her offer. And so the doctor counterproposes, I'll use the TARDIS to reactivate your ship's engines or your ship's defense screen against the ion storm. In exchange, you have to let all these humans go. So he'll mm-hmm. stay behind and help, uh, protect them. I, I don't want to skip over that the, there's a bit of a, another horror, body horror scene here where Vol, Chev, and Grash, who were under cyber control, are now in the conversion chamber and are released from cyber control. Therefore, they're themselves again, just as they're about to undergo cyber conversion. And mm. they, they, you know, you hear the horrific screams. Ah! And Grash, who freaks out, is determined to be emotionally unstable and therefore must be disposed of. And so they just yeah. kill him outright. Yeah. Uh, so that that was a bit. Of, that was wow. That was a. <laughs> Uh, from a cyberman horror scene that was effective i gotta say that Mm -hmm. so uh jansen seeing that the cybermen are well this was a little confusing i think this went by pretty quick Mm -hmm. but jansen turns and basically double reverses and uses her weapon to get them free from the cybermen because I think she's trying to you know, free the Doctor and the others as well. And Ike is killed at this point, so pretty much everyone but Jansen is dead. And Jansen gets injured, and they find out that she's, in fact, she is an android. She's a double agent. Dum-dum-dum. So <laughs> right. The so, Earth so the thought Whalen, she was on their side. The Whalen Corporation has stowed away <laughs> an android that then turns on the crew. Okay. Right. This is really aliens. Uh, so in her real mission was to, to learn about the cyber conversion process because it turns out that Earth leaders weren't really trying to make an alliance with the Cybermen. They just wanted to get the technology so they could give cybernetic enhancements to their own soldiers to win the war because that worked so well the first time they made Cybermen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> this is a bad idea. Don't keep recreating the Borg. So... uh she wants the information for her own side so they can create Cybermen for their uses. So everyone wants to make Cybermen. And the doctor says, I will only take you home. I will only rescue, save you, take you off in the TARDIS, if you erase the information that in your head. And she's like, how, you know, how, how do you know I've erased it? Like, you've, uh, how, yep. can, how can I trust you? How can you trust me? Hanging a lantern on the obvious. Yep. Right. Well, he convinces her by trusting her to act like a human being, basically. In fact, giving her what the injuries decide, which is, or d- demand, which is equal rights as a human being. And 
I have in my notes, Dr. Trust's captain, question mark, question mark, question mark. She just yeah. sold you out to the Cybermen and has been lying to you this entire time. <laughs> right, right. That, that, that is not exactly rational. He's going a little bit on blind faith there, I think. Yep. Yeah. In that one. Uh, blind so, faith much? We're, we're not out of the woods yet. The cyber leader reappears here after having been injured earlier. He's, he's, he's the villain who get you know, the monster that gets shot but doesn't die, shows up at the last second. Uh, that's another a little bit of a trope, and he grabs Charlie. They're all in their in their uh, EVA suit still. He grabs her, uh, and as they're getting onto the TARDIS, the cyber ship starts to break apart, and they have to put their helmets on. But Charlie's life support was destroyed when she was grabbed by the cyber leader. So it turns out that Jansen gave her her own life support, whatever, to save her. The doctor has passed out; he's been knocked out, and so he doesn't see what happens. But he's she Jansen sacrifices herself to save Charlie, and meanwhile Jansen and the Cybermen are left drifting in space to shut down. They're not destroyed; they're all shut down by the absolute cold. Zero. We're told they don't need to breathe, but the cold will get them. Right. Um, and the the lesson at the end that we're told is while the Cybermen are arguably more human than Jansen is as an android, she showed herself to act more human in, through self sacrifice and trust. Uh, that's sort of the that's our moral for the story in the end here. Uh, also, and, she may not die either, right? But right. she will be frozen yeah. for a time, and the doctor can't find her on the scanner to revive her. Right, right. And uh, so the Cybermen are left in space. Uh, and uh, and to tie in the tie things up, Ramsey, as you mentioned, is seems to have been cured of whatever was ailing him by the chroniton particles or whatever that was flooding the TARDIS earlier, and the TARDIS is now available. Uh, now available to be used by them it's safe again mm-hmm. and that's where we end it so yeah. uh what do you guys what do you guys any last notes about this episode as we discussed well, it when i got kind of a kick out of it i thought it was kind of an interesting idea that that uh Garrison central was you know such an old place that the old air conditioning causes so much condensation that it starts raining inside of it right because it's a closed yeah. station it's not a yeah surface it's, it's, planet. Ba- it's basically like a, a sphere and floating around in space or what, however you want to put it between right. two stars, the way they, they expressed it, but that the, the air conditioning causes rain, <laughs> which is actually kind of an interesting way to do it, you know? Yeah, yep, yep. Uh, Jimmy, other notes? I thought that the first two episodes of this could have been one. Yeah. I, I thought that the story was slow getting off the ground. It does eventually become interesting and also somewhat confusing. But it, 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 I like the characterization. The actors are doing a great job. I liked all of the actors. Uh, Paul McGann and, and India Fisher were great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The story has a lot of interesting things. I like how Charlie re- tries to relate futuristic stuff to a 1930s framework. Right. Because she is, she's encountering, you know, all this stuff centuries ahead of her time, but she's analogizing it in terms of things she understands from her time. And the doctor helps with that too. Yep. He'll explain things to her in terms of 1930 technology. And so I like that. It kind of reminds me of how Jamie interacts with stuff. Right. And she's obviously very capable. Uh, she is rolling with all this stuff that she must barely comprehend, but she's still she understands enough of what she's seeing to say, well, wait, then why don't you do this? Right. Yeah. And, and, and that's nice. 
Yeah, overall, it was an enjoyable story. I've seen. I've. It's not the best big finish story I've seen, but it's a competent big finish story. Yeah. It also tends to hew pretty closely to standard Doctor Who story structure. You know, well, you have you have the tease of the villain at the end of episode one. You have the big yeah. reveal of the villain at the end of episode two. You have you know rising tension in three. Things get really bad at the end of three, and then you pay off everything in four. Yeah. And that's and that's understandable because this was very early on in big finishes. Yeah. I mean, this was only their seventeenth story in their monthly range. So I mean, it's only been a year and a half that they've been producing these right. stories at that point. So it's understandable. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's interesting. I, I think some of the best uh, companions, especially in classic, are the ones who are really out of our time. They're not. They're not. You know, from whether it's nineteen eighty when they were producing it then or. Mm-hmm. Not, you know, to 2020, you know, that they were really people from the 30s or from the 18th century yeah. or, you know, they and I or really from the 22nd, like Zoe, Jamie yeah. and right. Zoe, the boy from the past and the girl from the future. That was a great combination. Yep. Right. Or from other planets like um, Nissa or uh, who's the, yep. uh, the 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 one with the fourth doctor with the she was sort of savage. Leela. Leela. Yeah. The, yep. the having them really different. And that's something that knew who has only kind of hinted at sometimes. Like Nardole was great because yeah. he mm-hmm. was he was very he was not very alien. A twi- yeah, he was not a 21st century Brit- uh, a British citizen. You know what I mean? It's like like yeah. all the rest have basically been. Who well, else have there have there been others well, who were sort of like that? Well, and, and the nice thing with, with Charlie is era. being yeah. being from the being from the 30s, she understands electricity and motors and cars and things like that. Right, you know, so that there, she's got a frame of reference for technology that can the doctor can say, okay, well, this is like a flying car, right? And she can yeah. kind of understand it. I, I like how she still uses '30s jargon. It's like, if you do that, won't it blow your electrical? Yeah, <laughs> yes, yes, and, de- and death ray. <laughs> yeah, death ray, and uh, and then she talks about like the the, the ship, I, I the love, spaceships I love the, in terms the of sailing fe- ships. I love yeah. the futuristic reaction to when she talks about death ray because. Today we have energy weapons, but we don't call them death rays. So it's like <laughs> right. death ray. What? Uh, yeah, yeah, right, right. Well, I mean, I suppose it could hurt you if you used it incorrectly, but it's, it's not really a death ray. Yes. Uh, so I do, I do wish they would. There, there would be more diversity in that sense in new in New Who TV of companions that we could have a, interesting viewpoints from characters. Like like we did with like Nardole was great. We loved Nardole because of that interesting perspective he provides. And if we could get, you know, twelfth century uh guys from twelfth century India or or uh uh twenty yeah. third century African, you know, guy from uh Kenya or something, you know, and just really go outside the box and really get, show us something interesting and new, uh that would be great. And, but uh, and they, they haven't done they that. Might have an op- they have might have an opportunity with the upcoming season because the rumors are it's just gonna be Yaz uh, will be the the only uh, companion in the next season. Will they take that opportunity? And Probably adds, not. Yeah, add somebody uh, really interesting and new and different. Yeah, I mean this is this this is similar. The, the, the new Who doesn't take as many chances uh, as classic Who. I think in in that sense, I think they're 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 really sort of stick to a formula, an approved formula. Mm-hmm. We have to have. You know, for the longest time it was we have to have young, pretty uh doctors, my boyfriend companions, <laughs> yep. which we did for a long time. And you know, at least we've kind of broken that mold a little. But I would like to see 
more. And that's one of the great things about Big Finish like we're doing is, is they, they do take more of those chances. And there's some very interesting uh, companions, very interesting stories. Um, and uh, this uh, from from this one, I did like it. I didn't catch the alien uh, analogies uh, you know, from the t- the movie Alien and Aliens, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, yeah, yeah, that it, it really clearly uh, is an homage to Aliens. There, um, uh, it was a good Cyberman story. Mm-hmm. Uh, it gives just enough of the Cyberman body horror aspects to. Oh, to and they satisfy. did it. They did that well, and I think yeah. they were liberated to do it because they weren't a visual broadcast medium. That's right. right. That's right. Yeah, they had if they'd had to show it. It would have changed the uh, you know what they yeah. could show, so or even uh, talking on camera about the smell of the decaying human bodies that we don't see off camera. They wouldn't right. do that on a family show. No, no, that's true. That's true. But, right. By the way, I want to I want to mention just real quick. I had mentioned the Cylon War. This came out before the new Battlestar Galactica. So last we had seen the Cylons at this point, they were still the Chrome Toasters. Yes, from nineteen seventy eight, and I Battle yep. Galactica nineteen eighty, which. We is not canon, and we're not going to go there. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen one episode. Hey, all of this has happened before, and all of this will happen again. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> uh, should put a note on it that uh, the Orion War does show up again in a Big Finish spinoff series called Cyberman, which uh, apparently uh, revisits this whole scenario uh, at a later point. So, interesting. All right, anything left to say on this one? All right, then uh, let's take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Doctor Who, including Isaac F., Daniel H., Joe E., David P., and Christian D. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And we'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edits the show for us every week. So that's it from us. What did you think of Sword of Orion? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page or sending an email to Who at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the 11th Doctor story, The Curse of the Black Pearl. I mean, Curse mm-hmm. of the Black Spot. Until then, Father Cory Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the Secrets of Doctor Who. Thank you, Dom. And Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thanks, Tom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, resistance is useless. Right. This is going to be fun.